You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Elevation Community Church, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, I'm very happy for Pastor Phil. He's on vacation this week, just enjoying some... uh, quiet time alone with his family, just being renewed. He works so hard for this church, and um, he's on vacation this week. We are going to be in the book of Ephesians for the next six weeks. So if you have a Bible app, you have a Bible in front of you, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Zeke is coming down the aisles with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, he's going to give you one. And we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. If you don't know where Ephesians is, just go to the table of contents in the, beginning, the, the, the front of the Bible and look what page number where Ephesians is. And as you're turning to Ephesians 1, let me ask you a question and tell you a story. The question is, what shapes your life, your thinking, your actions? What realities in your life, what identities shape who you are. Let me tell you this story. And this is a, um, this is a research project, a true, true story. Um, I'm not making this up that my friend told me a while back. And so there's these researchers in New York State, and they wanted to calculate the influence of a man's life on his descendants. So they picked two men um, that lived in the uh, 1700s. So we're talking 250 years ago. And the first man, they studied many people, but the, the part that was really interesting was, was these two people they found. The first guy's name was Max. Max Jukes. That's his name. And here's his picture right there. Good-looking young man. That's his mugshot from uh, going to prison. And Max Jukes was not a Christian, uh, lived a pretty wild life. Uh, he was married, had kids, but was not much of a family man. And he pr- lived a pretty reckless life. And so let me ask you that original question. What do you think shaped the mentality in the life of Max Duke's descendants? How did they think about themselves? And so these researchers, they wanted to know, what became of this man's descendants? And they found out. They did the the hard work, and they did the research. From this man's life, from him and his wife, his descendants, they counted 1,200 known descendants today, of which 440, quote-unquote, lived excessive indulgence and sensual pleasures, like a third of his descendants. 130 of them were convicted criminals. 100 of them were alcoholics. 60 of them, 60 people from this one man, were habitual thieves. Seven of them were murderers. The research showed that not one of Juke's descendants made a significant contribution to society, not even one. To the contrary, his family collectively cost the state of New York $1.2 million. What do you think shaped these people's mentality? 
his, his descendants? What kind of negative views did they have of themselves? In contrast, they studied another man. This man, his name was John. John came from a poor family around the same time period, the early 1700s. Uh, John's father eked out a living by tutoring. John himself had a very simple lifestyle, but he was a man of great faith who applied himself. He was a noted pastor, preacher, and diligent, serious theologian. And later in life, he served as the president of Princeton College. John, better known as Jonathan, married Sarah. And Jonathan Edwards and Sarah, what do you think their descendants thought of themselves? And the researchers, they did the the hard work and they found out. From John and Sarah's marriage, they they just focused on the male descendants um, from John and Sarah. And they found out that from John and Sarah came 300 pastors and missionaries, 120 college professors, 110 lawyers, just from this one guy and his wife. 60 medical doctors, 30 judges, 14 presidents of universities, three U.S. congressmen, one vice president of the United States. From this one guy. How do you think they thought of themselves? Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You live the reality and the identity that you believe in. And uh, this letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, I really want you to look down the text. I'm going to be looking over here at the text because we're going to be in, the t- in this letter all morning. So go to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is telling these new believers in the city of Ephesus, he says... Their identity, what they believe to be true about their lives, matters so much. Their lives were steeped in Greek mythology and in the worship of Artemis, uh, the, uh, the Roman god Diana, and their lives revolved around Diana, uh, worship in the, in the temple in Ephesus and Greek mythology and everything they held to be true. What, what do we hold to be true? What shapes us? I asked a guy, my, my buddy, uh, who lives here in town, I said, what shapes people's identity here in Blanchester? And he said, the biggest thing is probably the family you come from. And he says, you know, if this is your family, this is how you talk, this is how you live, and, but maybe it's your career, maybe it's the car you drive, Maybe, yeah, it's like the family you're from. This is who we are. This is my family. This is how we act. This is how we think. This is how we talk. And that shapes you. And Paul says to these Ephesians, you have a new identity. In chapters 1 through 3, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go through chapters 1 through 3 fairly quickly. I'm going to touch on chapter 4. We're going to uh, then spend some time on chapter 5. And then uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to 
uh, dig in deeper. Some other people are going to preach. We're going to hear from uh, chapters 5 and 6. And so let's look at chapter 1. What does Paul want to tell us? What are these new spiritual realities? Look at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Let's look down at it. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ because of your relationship with Christ. Because you're a believer now and Christ lives in you, this is the reality. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the new reality. And then for the next chapters, one, two, and three, he just keeps going on about this new reality in Jesus. Look down at verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. It says, God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. So you were an orphan on the street. You were unwanted spiritually. And God brought you into his family. He adopted you, right? Go over, look down at verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. It says, in Jesus, in him, we have redemption through his blood. He says, this is the reality. You've been redeemed. That means you've been purchased. God bought you. You belong to him now. He, you are in his family. And what is it? it goes on and says, and we have the forgiveness of sins. Turn over to chapter 2. He just keeps going on and on about these new realities, the inner workings of the spiritual world, the, the thing that Christ did in us in, during salvation. Go over to chapter 2, verse 18. Go ahead and turn there. Chapter 2, verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, you have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, because of Jesus, you can go straight to God. And you're no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens. We are in God's kingdom now. You're citizens of God's kingdom. More than that. And you are members of the household of God. What? Amen. Right? He says, this is your new reality. This is what should shape your mentality. I know there was lots of things in your previous life that shaped how you thought about yourself. There was things in Max Juke's life that he thought, this was my reality. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to party. I'm going to drink. And look what that got him. Look what that produced. And Paul saying to these people, you have a new identity. This is the new realities in your life. Look back at um, chapter 2, verses 5. Look at it. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, Jesus made us alive. You were dead. He says, this was the reality. You were dead. And Jesus made you spiritually alive. By grace, you have been saved. And we can't help 
But to think of the scene in the garden. Genesis chapter 2. I think we have the verse on the screen. Right? Let me put this down. It says, The Lord God formed the man out of the dust. I have a little analogy this morning. All right, here's our man of the dust. Get an get a image. And he, here it is. Here's Adam. He was just dust. He was just dirt, right? This is who we were. We were just dead stuff, right? Dead dirt. The Lord God formed the man of the dust. God made him. He formed him from the ground, and he breathed into his nostril. That breath, it's a, it's a, in Hebrew, it can mean spirit. Breath is spirit. God took his spirit, his breath, and he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. This is what we just read. What God did to Adam, that's what God did to us in Jesus. He breathed breath of life into him and made us alive. Right? We were this. This is who we were. Breathe into us, and now we are living, spiritual, eternal beings with sacred value. He says in chapter 4, don't think of yourselves in the futility of your flesh. Just in the futility is like worthlessness of your flesh. But you've been made alive in Christ, right? Look it over to um, Ephesians 4.24. I know we're doing a lot of page turning, but I want you to get the point of what Paul's saying. There are new realities, new identities. 424. He says, put on the new self. You have a new self created in the likeness of God and true righteousness. Here we see the garden again. God made us in his image. What for? To, be with, to, to live in true righteousness and in holiness. This is who you are now in Jesus. You've been given a new self. You've been resurrected. You've been made alive. Right? So let me interject this whole train of thought. Right? How do we know these spiritual realities, how do we know that they are true? Did the Apostle Paul just wake up one morning, look into heaven? He says, oh yeah, right there. All the spiritual blessings in Jesus are ours now. And uh, you can turn to uh, chapter 3, and he addresses this point. Chapter 3 in Ephesians. It says, by the mystery of God, uh, three verses, Verse 3, by the mystery God made known to me by revelation. And when you read this letter, when you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ. So let me put it like this. The evening that I experienced spiritual rebirth, I remember it very clearly. I went to youth group with my sister um, down in Cincinnati, and I experienced forgiveness. I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. If you would ask me that night, do you feel like you've been made alive 
And God, yeah, my, my heart's different. My desires are different. My, what I want to do, my thinking's different. God made me alive. And some of us have a very gradual coming to Jesus um, moment. And some of us have a more of a dramatic, and some of us have a very dramatic experience with, with God. And I would have probably said that now, yes, I've been made alive in Jesus. I feel that. You don't need to write to me in a letter that say, I've been made alive in Jesus. But if you see what uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 6, right? Or I'll read verse 5. He made us alive together with Christ. Yeah, I, I know that. I felt that. I, that's how I know it's true. Read verse 6 then. But, and he raised us up to be seated with him in heavenly places. What is that all about? How do we know that? If you would have asked me that night, hey, are you seated with Jesus in, in heaven? I mean, even if you ask me now, do I, do I feel that? I say, yes, I believe it. But I believe it because Jesus and the prophets and Paul, they had deeper insight into God and into what God was doing in us. And he says, yes, I've been given special insight into the mystery of Christ. And so listen, these new spiritual realities of being adopted, being brought into his kingdom, having a new self, being made alive in Christ, being seated with him in heavenly places, these identities, we can't understand them from our own experiences. We can understand bits of it. We have bits of insight from our experiences. But we need the deeper insight from the Bible, from Jesus. And from this knowledge, through the power of the Holy Spirit, your mind can be renewed and should live according to these new spiritual realities. So as we move into chapter 5, very quickly, we can see the connection. It says, your speech, how you think about sex, your social circles should be transformed. And as we get into other part, the latter half of chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're going to be talking about your family, your parenting, your marriage should be transformed in light of what Christ has done in you. Amen? So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. 1 through 3 and part of 4 is all about these new spiritual realities. And as we get into chapter 5, he says, okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. We're going to get down to brass tacks. And Paul doesn't spare anything. He goes right for the jugular. He goes right to the, the issues that are in their lives and addresses it. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. He says, okay, therefore, in light of everything that I've been telling you, the verse preceding is, since Christ forgave you, therefore, there's the spiritual realities, what Jesus did for you, therefore, be imitators of God. Act like him. Walk like him. Do the things that God does. And then he comes back to identity again. Because in reality, you are his beloved children. 
Walk in love, even as Christ loved you. And then he addresses the first issue that he sees going on with these people. Let's look down at verse 3. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. If you have an NIV Bible, you'll read, must not even be hinted at among you. Shouldn't even be a hint of it among you. And he picks up this theme again, verse 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. But be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure or same type of person who is covetousness or an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So he equates, again, sexual immorality with covetousness. Second time. Look back at chapter 4, verses 19. 419, this is where we want to focus in on. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, re- reference to sex, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Again, this idea of covetousness or greed equated with sex. But that is not the way you learn in Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is, is in Jesus, Right? Put off the old self. That old identity, those old realities, put that off. Which belongs to the former manner of life, which is corrupted through deceitful desires. Referring to sex again. He says, those old desires you used to have, they were deceitful. They deceived you. They tricked you. They didn't fulfill you. They didn't give you what they promised. He says, those were deceitful desires. But... Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's what we're talking about, is spiritual transformation. Take this knowledge. This is um, Colossians 2. It says, be renewed in the knowledge of your creator. Right? And that's what it's, uh, Colossians actually, it's Colossians 3.10. Be renewed in the knowledge of your creator. And he says the same thing here. Because of these new realities, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put off, put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So listen. He's saying, Ephesians, these new believers, I see what's going on among you. There's all this temple prostitution. There's all these parties in people's house. There's all this nasty stuff happening. He says, you got to put that away because you've been made new. So when we look at Genesis 2 and God, the first marriage, God created sex for oneness, for true mutual intimacy, right? And if there's any greed, covetousness, three times he says, this, this sexual practices, it's covetousness. It's greedy. My point, you can go to the first point on the slide. He says, replace greedy sex with sacred value. Look, look what he says, verse 19. Put that old mindset away, and now you have a new identity. You have a new self created in the likeness of God. 
you are not just dirt, right? If we were just dirt, if we were just animals, then yeah, we can, we can you know, go to Woodstock and do whatever we want in college and, and party it up. And, um, but this is not who we are. We are eternal living creatures made in the likeness of God. That means, what does it mean, likeness of God? That means we have sacred value. Our body, soul, and mind, who we are, we have sacred value. Put that old thinking away. Put that old thinking away and believe in who God has made you. So what, what, is, what does sexual immorality mean, just real quickly? If we look at other places in the Bible, it means this. It means we don't have sex before marriage. Once you're married, you don't have sex outside of marriage. It means we don't look at pornography. It means uh, we don't practice homosexuality. It says here in Ephesians 5.3, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. And then remember what Jesus said. You should not even look at somebody with lust. And if you do, that's like adultery. That's like having sex outside of marriage. And I know there's probably somebody listening thinking, I knew it. That's what church is all about. It's about don't do this, don't do that, all these rules. And I've just come here and I feel condemned. Listen. We put these boundaries, the Bible puts these rules around sexual behavior. Why? Because we're just a bunch of rule keepers? No, because our bodies are sacred. Because we're made to be like God. That's why we have these rules, because we're special. We don't hit each other and kill each other because we're special. You know, I'll, I can go and eat a chicken at, for lunch because a, a chicken is not sacred. I can't kill somebody else because that person is sacred. And that's what Paul is saying about sex in uh, chapter 4, verses 24. You have a new self created to be like God. This is your new identity. And so if, if, you're, if you're that person thinking, oh, this is just about a bunch of rules. Listen, if you feel condemnation, if you feel guilt because of this list of rules I just read, 1 John 1.9 is for you. Confess your sin and that you might be forgiven and healed. The greatest thing about Jesus is, yes, he has, he's a holy God with rules, and he wants you to live up here. But guess what? He knows you're a sinner. Confess your sin. Come to Jesus. We're all sinners. We all have ugly pasts. We all still even struggle with sin, right? We're not perfect. So confession, repentance is our way to get right with God. But if you're just looking for a free ride, oh, I just want to live the way I want to. I want to, you know, hear a sermon about how much God loves me, and don't talk to me about these rules. Guess what Jesus says to you? Guess what Paul says to you? Those who practice such things, who continue in this mindset, they can just live the way they want to live, there is, you're not going to come into the kingdom of God. Let's go on. Chapter 5, verse is 4. 
says, There should be no filthy or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Look back at chapter 4, verse 31. But all bitterness and wrath and anger, calamity, slander must be put away from you. You have a new identity. And this old way of being angry and slandering other people, it should not happen anymore. What is slander? I looked it up on Google just right now. The act or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to one's reputation, right? Jesus is clear. When you hear gossip about somebody, slander about somebody, what you do is go to them right away and deal with it. You don't keep talking about it. You don't keep getting upset about it, you know, continuing on in anger. And what is he's, uh, Paul's heart for these people? Chapter 4, verse 32, look down at it. It says, put away slander. Stop talking like that. Stop the gossip. He says, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That's God's heart, is that we would forgive one another. There would be reconciliation between people. So first point is replace greedy sex with sacred value. Second point we have is replace nasty speech. Replace slander and anger and filthy talk and crude joking. He says, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. We have so much to be grateful for. Band, you can come on up. Let's look at the next topic that Paul addresses, right? Read verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the, children, the sons of disobedience. Chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, do not even associate with them, these, these quote-unquote sons of disobedience. He says, you used to associate with these people. And he says, at one time you walked in darkness. You knew these people. They were friends with you. And you look down at verse 12. It is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. We know what they used to do in these Greek temples and at their parties. They were crazy parties. And um, he says, but expose them. He says, verse 14, he says, Get out of the grave. Arise from the dead. This is who you are now. You're not dead anymore. Christ has made you alive. This is your new reality. He says, verse 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine. You used to, used to be partying with these folks. You used, to do, you used to go along with them. Don't even, you know, here's the thing with old friends, the people that used to drag you down. It's a question of who's influencing who, Right? Are they dragging you down? Is their lifestyle, their drinking, the things they do in secret, are they influencing you? And in some places it says in the Bible, you know, we don't have to get out of the world. We can still keep old friends. We don't have to, you know, get rid of all of our old friends. He's saying, Paul's saying in this situation, he says, don't even associate with them anymore. 
He says, you have a new community. He says, don't get drunk with wine anymore. Wine anymore. He says, but in contrast, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart. We have so much to be grateful for. He says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. We have a Father, right? We get our identity from our family, the high school sports we played, you know, the cool things we did growing up, maybe our job. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm no different. I, I mean, I, I dress casual and kind of professional because I'm a pastor, right? But I, I used to work construction. I had this long, scraggly beard because that's who I hung out with. And so sometimes we, we tell the jokes that the people tell that, you know, are around us. And we act the way that our surroundings act. He says, don't just act the way that everybody else is acting around you. He says, you are God's child. That's your reality. Live in according to who you are. Let me read this last thing. God, thank you that you've made us alive in you. We have new identity. Listen to the lyrics of this song. Like the dust that you first held in a garden where you knelt, pull me up against your face again till the breath, the breath of life, your spirit to the breath of your hope fills the depths of my soul till I've been found by love. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly impact Bible study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.